happy Father's Day to fathers in our midst. Thank you. As I mentioned last week, one of uh, the best gifts that you can give your father is your presence. So I'm thankful that my daughter's here. Because, uh, yeah, fathers, we, we just want to spend time with our kids. Uh, and also, fathers, the best gift that you can give your family is your presence. Uh, Fathers who are there and present, uh, they change the world and make a huge difference uh, in our lives. Uh, and, and that also is true of our Heavenly Father. Our Heavenly Father, He is present. Um, he seeks to give His presence to His children. And that's really what this whole sermon series on the Holy Spirit is focused on, is God giving His presence through the person of the Holy Spirit, the best gift of them all, and we're on our third week in this series. And uh, just to review, the, the the first week, one of the emphases was uh, already and not yet. All right, so say it with me: already, not yet. Right? That the that the gift on Pentecost was that uh, the the last days are already have already begun. That God has already poured out His Spirit. Redemption, salvation has already begun. But the full and final culmination of things is not yet arrived, so that there's still suffering, there's still death, all of that. So that's what the already or not yet. And then last week, we talked about how the Holy Spirit is, is a person, not just a power. So say with me, a person, not power. Person, not power. Right. Now, of course, within his person, when the Holy Spirit shows up, he brings, he's powerful, he's God, so he brings power with him. But we always must remember, no, we're in a relationship with a person. It's not about sort of wielding or harnessing a power like the force. We're in relationship to this God, to his presence that he's poured out. Now, today, we, we, if we're, if I'm going to summarize Today's sermon, and just sort of a phrase, it would be, be filled. Okay, so say it with me, be filled, right? Be filled with the Spirit. And um, our artwork, and uh, Carla Perez did that artwork for us. I think it's a good summation of that, where the Holy Spirit is often depicted as a dove, and we seek to be filled with the Spirit's presence. And that's the gift of Pentecost. The, 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 the gift of Pentecost is that he has given himself, he's given his spirit, and that's often referred to as being filled with the spirit, as being baptized with the spirit. So we're going to look particularly about how do we understand that terminology, being filled with the spirit, being baptized with the spirit, um, and even more importantly, not just how do we understand that terminology, but how do we apply it? What does it mean for our lives? So that's what we're really going to look at today, and that's important because there's somewhat there's some controversy in Christianity about that terminology, um, you know, baptized with the Spirit, filled with the Spirit. So perhaps you've talked with some folks, and they talk about, well, I was baptized in the Spirit, and they talk about it, you know, as, as sometime after that they became a Christian. Well, what does that mean, and how do we understand that? And then there's some on the other side of the spectrum who sort of say, yeah, you are um, given the Spirit of God when you believe, and then that's it. That's as much Spirit as you're going to get. And so within that, there's lots of talk, lots of controversy, like, all right, how, do we, how are we to understand this? How are we to understand this terminology? And that's what we're going to look at today, not just to clear up and get us on the same page, 
but so that we can actually live in the Spirit's presence. Because what God wants to do here at Second Baptist Church, it, it, what He wants to do requires the Holy Spirit. Uh, so even more importantly than understanding, right, we, we need the Holy Spirit to fill us so that we do those things that God has called us to do. Because God has called our church not just to gather on Sundays, have a nice little service, and that's it. God has called our church to worship Him, to love people, and to grow Christ followers, to make a difference in the lives of people, and not just, oh, a little bit of self-help, a little bit of improvement, but we're talking a supernatural transformation from the inside out, an impact in our community where lives are changed for eternity. We can't do that in our own power. We can't do that through some good management. We need the Holy Spirit. So that's one of the reasons why it's so important to look at this. So the first point that I'd like to make, and this is a point that pretty much all Christians agree on, is that every true Christian who believes in Jesus receives God's Holy Spirit. Now, the Pentecost promise, the promise that was given on Pentecost was you repent and believe in the Lord Jesus, and you'll receive the Holy Spirit. Well, let's look at Acts chapter 2. We read this a couple of weeks ago. We'll just look at verses 38 and 39. So, Peter said to them, this is, he said to the whole crowd that's gathered, he says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. So remember what just happened. Peter and the people with him, they had just been filled with the Spirit, baptized with the Spirit. We'll talk about that terminology in a second. And now he is telling those gathered how they can receive that same gift of salvation through Jesus Christ and the Spirit. Right? That's, he said this same promise fulfillment is for you. So if you truly believe in Jesus, you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And we talked about this quite a bit a couple weeks ago. But another passage, the Apostle Paul, he's writing to the church in Rome, and he urges them to live by the Spirit that they received when they believed in Jesus. Not to live in the flesh, that they received the Spirit, so live in it. So Romans chapter 8, verse 9 says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So that's kind of stated in a negative way, but he's saying, you know, if you don't have the Spirit, then you don't have Jesus. So the implication is, if you do have Jesus, you have the Spirit. And, and, and Paul is urging them, so live by that Spirit. You have it, you have the promise, so live by the Spirit, not by the flesh. All right, so now, for the most part, pretty much all Christians would agree. Okay, Christians have the Holy Spirit, hallelujah, let's grow in our relationship to the Spirit of God dwelling inside of us. But what about this idea about treating the baptism of the Holy Spirit as something sort of separate from the Holy Spirit? What about that idea of baptism in the Spirit? All right, well, I'm going to give you my main point, what I read biblically, and then I'll tell you why. Well, as we're going to see in Acts chapter 11, baptism in the Holy Spirit and filling with the Holy Spirit are often used interchangeably, interchangeable terms. They both refer very often, to being so overwhelmed with the presence of God 
that there's a tangible change in a person that points to the supernatural presence of God. And so in my, the way I like to think of it to keep my terminology straight is that at conversion, you are baptized with the Holy Spirit, but more fillings are not just possible, but highly recommended, all right? However, now I like to keep it straight by saying, all right, you're baptized by the Spirit, in the Spirit when you first become a Christian, and then you're filled, you know, repeated times after. However, biblically, those terms, baptized by the Spirit and filled with the Spirit, are often used interchangeably, and that's what I want to show you. Let's look at a passage from the book of Acts as a case study. So in Acts chapter 10, uh, Peter, he is led by the Spirit to visit some Gentiles, and uh, they receive the Holy Spirit just like Peter did. And in chapter 11, and this is the scripture we're looking at, Peter is telling his fellow Jewish Christians what, what happened to him when he visited this, this Gentile named Cornelius. And now the context of the book of Acts, we must remember, is that Christ's community is expanding to new people groups in fulfillment of Acts 1.8, where Jesus said, hey, wait for, wait for me in Jerusalem, and you'll receive power, the Holy Spirit, and then you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and uh, to the Samaria and the ends of the earth. And the book of Acts is that being fulfilled as God and his Spirit and the Word go to diff- more and more different people groups. And so those, uh, as we'll see, Peter experiences this when he is called to go to this Gentile named Cornelius, his house in Caesarea, and the Spirit falls on these Gentiles just like it fell on, um, just like he fell on Peter. So let's look. Acts chapter 11, verse 1 through 18. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. So I'll just pause here. So remember, uh, Peter, Jesus, he's Jewish. Peter's Jewish. Every, all the first Christians were Jewish who believed that Jesus was the promised Messiah. And at this point, because the, the, the uh, word is breaking out into Samaria, into now as we see Gentiles, they're still trying to figure it out. Like, wait a minute, don't, don't, we've been brought up that if you're, in order to be a part of the people of God, right, you, you need to be Jewish. That means you need to be circumcised, you need to follow the dietary laws, all of these things. Um, and so when Peter goes and he eats, which means fellowship and acceptance with Cornelius in his households, they're uncircumcised and they want to know, Peter, what are you doing? That's, that's not kosher. That's not what we do unless they've become Jewish first, unless they've been circumcised, unless they convert to Judaism, they're not a part of the people of God. Well, God was doing something different. And so anyways, that's why they're questioning Peter. And so this is how Peter explains it. Verse 4, but Peter began and he explained it to them in order. He says, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and the birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, by no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, what God has made clean, do not call common. 
This happened three times, and all was drawn up again into heaven. Okay, so just quickly, Peter's having this vision. So God's working on Peter. He's having this vision that's preparing him to reconsider, wait, what's clean? What's okay? As, as a Jewish person, what's, you know, what, what's going on here? What's okay? This vision is preparing him. Verse 11, and behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. This is Cornelius' house. And he told us how he had seen the angel stand in the house and say, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter, and he will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. So what's interesting is the Spirit is not just working and prompting Peter, although he is, he's also prompting Cornelius because Cornelius sees this vision to send to this guy named Simon Peter. So all the circumstances are set up. Now Peter says this in verse 15, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as us at the beginning. Now, again, uh, back in chapter 10, it gives us more details. But basically, Peter is giving the message of salvation. He's talking about Jesus and his resurrection and the need to believe. And then Cornelius and House, they, they receive that message. And boom, the Holy Spirit falls on, on Cornelius and his household. Verse 16. And then Peter says, And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent, and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. All right, so here we see some interesting terminology, but let's not lose the main point, and that is the Spirit is breaking down barriers. He is bringing salvation even to the Gentile world, to Cornelius and his household. He's breaking down barriers since the Holy Spirit, the, the Gentiles, Cornelius and his household, they're baptized with the Holy Spirit just like Peter at Pentecost. And that's his main argument. He's like, all right, the Spirit is doing something and we are the ones who need to submit to the Spirit, not the other way around. And so when the Spirit fell, when, when these people were baptized just like us, well, then who was I? Who was I to stand in their way, in the, in the Spirit's way? That's why I went and ate with them. So he's explaining to them, God's doing something. The Spirit is doing something. So that's the main point there. But as we look at it, we can gain a lot. Because notice that Peter said that the Holy Spirit fell upon Cornelius' household, just as it fell on him at Pentecost. And, and that both of these things, the Spirit falling upon Cornelius' house, falling upon Peter, fulfilled the words of Jesus when he said, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So what is going on here is baptism in the Holy Spirit. But what's interesting is when you turn back, and we read this a couple weeks ago, in Acts chapter 2, verse 4, what does it say about the Spirit? It says that the Holy Spirit, they, that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. You see, baptism and filled, they're used interchangeably here in the book of Acts. And so that same word of giving the Spirit, fell upon, poured out, received, filled, baptized, these terms are used interchangeably. 
in the book of Acts. And, and so it's not like, all right, we have this salvation process where you believe in Jesus, okay, and, and you receive the Spirit. And then, you know, there's this, this other thing called baptism in the Spirit that some Christians have and some Christians don't have. No, you receive the Holy Spirit. The question is, will you continually be filled with the Holy Spirit? That's the question here. Because the other thing is, all right, well, then maybe it's just you receive the Spirit and then you're done, right? You just receive the whole Spirit that you're going to get. Well, that's also not biblical because what happens is that Peter, he is said to be filled with the Spirit again after Pentecost, In Acts chapter 4, verse 31, Peter and a bunch of the other people who were there at Pentecost, it says they were filled again with the Spirit, and the whole place shook. So it's also not true that, all right, you know, you receive the Spirit when you believe, and that's that's as much Spirit as you're going to get. It's rather, no, you are baptized into this community of believers. You become a part of the family of God through baptism, through baptism in the Spirit. And then you have this relationship where you are continually being transformed, where you're seeking to continually be filled with God's presence and his power to advance his plan. That... And I think Craig Keener, he summarizes things well. Craig Keener is a a scholar that I really look up to. Um, I think he does excellent scholarship, but he also practices um, uh, his his faith in a deep way. Uh, I think his quote should be up there. Yeah, I think he summarizes it well. He says, Although all God's fullness becomes ours the moment of our conversion, we still have to actualize that fullness in our daily lives. Conversion gives us access to all we need, but neither conversion nor a single experience after conversion frees us from the need to seek God's empowerment in practice. That means we seek not a single experience, but a continuing relationship. So it's not that there's two classes of Christians, one group who has the spirit and another who has extra spirit. Rather, it's Christians. We're at various points in our relationship with God, and the person of the the Spirit is transforming us and filling us. So the takeaway here is be filled with the Spirit. Continually be filled with the Spirit. It's not a check mark. It's not like, oh, I was, ba- you know, I was baptized in the Spirit, or I was filled in the Spirit 10 years ago because, you know, I prophesied, or I spoke in tongues, or, or I was healed, or there was some miracle. And so, yeah, I'm glad I got to ch- check that off my list. No, continually be filled with the Spirit. Seek regularly. I, I think an illustration, sort of a lesser to greater argument, the Jewish rabbis did it, so I think I can do it, is, um, you know, I've often spoke of my love for peach Chick-fil-A milkshakes. And they are very filling, right? Because they're like a thousand calories each. You get a lot of bang for your buck when you buy one of those things. Well, the first time I had a Chick-fil-A peach milkshake, I was like, this is the best milkshake for a fast food place I've ever had. I love them. I was, and I was all filled up and I was like, yes. And now though, because I have tasted that milkshake, I want another one. I do. And, and in fact, even though they're seasonal, 
But when, when I know they're there, I'll go there. I'll even wait in those ridiculously long drive through lines to get a Chick-fil-A peach milkshake. See, and the, the point is, if when we've tasted something, when something has filled us and it's good, we want more of it. It's not like, oh, I'm glad I can check that off my bucket list. I want to I be filled with Chick-fil-A milkshake again. Um, so when they get seasonal, remind me, or, you know, pick me. If, if everyone, what, what would really bless my pastor? <laughs> A Chick-fil-A peach milkshake. <laughs> right, and if I gain 20 pounds during milkshake, peach milkshake season, that would be a good thing. Um, but the point is, is, yes, we continually seek to be filled. The, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the filling of the Holy Spirit, there's nothing better. And so why wouldn't we continually seek that filling? So what does it look like, though? What does it look like to be spirit-filled as a person or as a spirit-filled community? Well, it's more than just feelings, Right. I've, been in, I've been in churches sometimes where they talk about the Holy Spirit a lot, and everything's hyped, 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 lots of emotion. But sometimes I'm like, but is this being filled with the Spirit? Because the Word of God's not preached uh, properly, or um, there's division and exploitation. Oh, it's more than just a change in feelings. It's, there's an objective change. That happens. So what does, the, what does being filled with the Spirit look like? What does being baptized with the Spirit look like? It looks like change. Because you can't be in the presence of God and stay the same. You can't. And in the book of Acts, what it often, that change often looked like people being empowered to speak in tongues. But as we always do, we hyper-focus on certain things and we forget that, okay, the visible change very often immediately was people speaking in tongues, but that wasn't just it. It wasn't just like, okay, I spoke in tongues, so good, I'm done. Now I can check that off. Rather, no, that person was changed, their community was changed. So that we see this radical giving when we read in the book of Acts that the church really cared for the, the poor, and the people among them who didn't have anything. They were selling their stuff and giving to one another so that no one was starving. There's that kind of change that takes place. There's also this change where they can uh, stand up against persecution. So they would be thrown in jail, and they're still singing God's praises. Why? Because they're full of the Spirit, and the Spirit changes us. Well, most of all, they're filled with the Spirit, so they go speaking um, and the, the powerful message of God in bringing new people into God's kingdom. And we're going to unpack all, what all this means in, in the future weeks. All right, well, what about the speaking in tongues? What about prophecy? What about the community? What about the fruit of the Spirit? All of the changes that the Holy Spirit um, makes in someone's life, in a community's life, we're going to look deeper into all of that. But what I want us to see now, the commonality in all this, is that being filled with the Spirit, being baptized with the, with the Spirit, means God is changing you profoundly from the inside out. There is transformation. There is empowerment. So what does it look like? What does the Spirit baptism look like? What does being filled with the Spirit look like? It looks like, again, individually and as a community, we're different because God's presence 
has made us different. And how could that not? How could God's presence not change things? Um, Francis Chan, in his book, The Forgotten God, he compares it to basketball. So I haven't played basketball in a while, just shot some hoops. But let's just say, all right, I send out an email to some of my basketball peeps, and I'm like, all right, let's meet in the church gym because I am filled with the presence of God to play basketball. And so, you know, you, we gather, and I'm shooting it, and, and I'm shooting up bricks. I'm not scoring any, any baskets. I can't dunk it. I really just play the same way poorly as I always do, right? Or let's say if we're the Celtics, we just keep turning the ball over. All right, too soon. Um, the people that I'm playing with, they'd say, what? I thought you said that, you know, the presence of God was with you. <laughs> but I don't see any difference in your play. And that, they would be right to ask that. Like, what's, well, yeah, I'm expecting if you're full and powered by God, you should at least be able to shoot 30%. <laughs> So we should expect that there, is, there should be change. Like when you're filled with the Spirit and you're baptized in the Spirit, the presence of God changes things. And it's not a formula. It's a relationship. See, that's where we get in trouble. We're like, okay, so yes, we should expect change when you're baptized in the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, so therefore you must whatever. And this is where folks are like, oh, then you must speak in tongues or you must do this. You must, we want to make it a formula. But it's a relationship. So the commonality is change, and there's also room for growth. There's also this idea where God fills you with his spirit to uh, empower you to advance his plan, but because of the not yet, there's already, already received the spirit but not yet full, then we're not just constantly full of the spirit. We want to. We strive for that. But then sometimes we just go back and fall back into sin, or, or we, um, we struggle with something. It's this relationship. That's why there's still room for growth. You're baptized in the Spirit. You receive the Spirit, but you're still allowing His fullness to transform you so that you don't live so much in the flesh. So it's not just a functional thing. Oh, God gives you His Spirit, so therefore you can do this and that. Remember, there's a relationship there. And just because it's a relationship, there are things that will improve, and there's things that can improve our relationship with God, and there's things that can take away from that. We can put ourselves in the place to be filled. So the next question is, all right, so what does it look like? What does being filled and baptized in the Spirit look like? It looks like change. It looks like the presence of God is working in you to transform you and do things that you can't do on your own. But then how? How do we then be filled? Well, look at the scriptures. When people are filled with the Spirit or baptized with the Spirit, what are they doing? Well, in Acts chapter 2, they're gathered together in the upper room praying. They're gathered together praying in Acts chapter 1. And so Acts chapter 2, the Spirit falls. In Cornelius' house, the, the scripture we just read, what are they doing? They're gathered together to hear the Word of God. And that's when the Spirit falls. So God is sovereign, and he can do what he wants. He can fill who he wants, when he wants. He's sovereign. He's God. We're not. But generally, it is the active exercise of faith in Jesus that puts us in a place to be near God, 
so that the fullness of his presence spills out over into us and then into other people. And so that's the question. The command is to be filled with the Spirit. Are you actively seeking to draw closer to God by exercising faith? Again, in the, in the, in the command in Ephesians, and we'll look at this more next week, but I'll introduce it now. There's a command to be filled with the Spirit. We see the role of gathering together to praise and worship Him. So Ephesians 5, 18 through 21. Again, I'm introducing it today, but we're going to look at it more later. It says, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Okay, so there's the command, and that's a, in the Greek, it's a command form. Be filled with the Spirit. That's the command. Stay off the sauce. Don't go to the sauce. You know, don't go to those kinds of spirits. That's debauchery. Rather, be filled with the Spirit. And then look at what goes along with that. Verse 19, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So here we have that command to be filled with the Spirit, and both the Greek grammar and the context say that this is a continual thing, that no, be filled with the Spirit once. No, continually be filled with the Spirit Seek to be filled with the Spirit. And that happens as what? You praise God together in song and give thanks, praise and worship. So if you want to be filled with the Spirit, are you seeking out those opportunities to praise God together, to pray together, to worship together? Because those are the settings, both in Acts and here in Ephesians, we see that God fills his people with himself. So that's one. You want to be filled with the Spirit? Well, we see we, you do that through prayer, through praise together. But God also fulfills his people to fulfill his plan, to advance his plan. So if you're a Christian, are you, and this convicted me too, are you doing anything for God that actually requires him to, f to fill you up? I mean, God fills you to overflowing so you can overflow. So you can give of that, that empowerment, that blessing to other people. But if we're not even relying on the spirit who God has given us and indwelt us, what, does he really need to fill us? That would be like one of my kids. We were sitting, again, let's just say Chick-fil-A, and they have one of the patented milkshakes. They've got the waffle fries. They've got a uh, chicken sandwich. They just take a sip of that milkshake. They eat one waffle fry. I'm not going to go and buy them another meal. They don't need it. They're not even eating what they have. Well, why am I going to give them another meal? So too, we, we went, oh God, fill us with your spirit. Well, God's given us his spirit, but we're not even relating to the indwelling spirit we have each day. We're not seeking to, to give what he's given us. We don't even need more spirit, so why is he going to give it to us? Now, 
if my beautiful daughter eats all of her uh, uh, Chick-fil-A meal, I'm still hungry. Well, I'm going to give her more. But, but wait a minute. What if? What if she says, you know, this is a great meal. I'm glad you've given it to me. But I see that person over there who's begging for money. I want to bring my, I want to bring that meal to them. As a father, I would be like, yes, I'll buy you another meal. In fact, I'll buy you two or three more if you want to give every one of those people a meal because that's what we're after. I want to cultivate in my children a desire to bless others because they've been blessed. Same with God is that, yes, he can fill us with his spirit whenever he wants. It's about our relationship with him. But if he's already abundantly given us of his spirit and we want to be filled, then let's try giving it away. Saying, God, or, or let's try something, stepping out in faith in an area that we know we cannot succeed in unless God fills us with his spirit. So many times we're like, all right, God, I'll do this little thing for you, and we know it's in our strength and in our power. And yes, God wants us to do that. But we don't necessarily need to be filled with his spirit to do that. But when we take that step where if God does not show up, we won't be able to do it. Those are the contexts which God would say, all right, I'm going to pour my spirit out because you're exercising your faith. And because you're exercising your faith and you need, you need my empowerment to advance my plan. I'm so grateful that you're advancing my plan, not yours. So boom. And he fills us with his spirit to do those things that we can't do on our own. So that's the question. We want to be filled with the spirit, but yet we're not doing anything that we need to be filled with the spirit. Now, again, I don't want to make like there's a sort of functional role of being filled with the spirit. In other words, that, all right, I get filled with the spirit to do God's work. And it's this, I mean, it is a relationship so that God sometimes fills us with his spirit so we know more of his presence, so that we're empowered and we're encouraged in our worship of him so that we can then, you know, go and it's about our relationship with him. But nonetheless, there's still that aspect of, all right, you want to be filled with the spirit. Well, why? You know, why? And will we attempt those things that where we need to be filled with the Spirit. All right, quickly, I just also want to note there in Ephesians 5.21, talks about, uh, you know, be filled with the Spirit and by singing hymns and all of this stuff and uh, together worshiping. And, but then, note we often forget Ephesians 5.21. It says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Huh. Mutual submission. So being filled with the Spirit doesn't just change individuals. It's always meant to change communities. That, so I talked about that radical generosity that the early church exhibited, that care for one another, that expansion of God's kingdom to new people groups. Well, what a difference it would be if, as it says here, that a Spirit-filled church submits to one another out of reverence for Christ. I mean, dare I say that in our radically individualistic and narcissistic culture, I mean, that would be so countercultural. 
When I come to that church, man, they submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. I mean, I know they're filled with the Spirit because they are so unlike the prevailing culture. That would make a huge difference. What a powerful witness to the Spirit changing a congregation. But the church has not been very good at being countercultural. And just on this aside, you know, today's Juneteenth, the day where we, um, we celebrate the emancipation of, of slaves, that announcement uh, that started in Texas where, you know, the Union armies started to bring the news, hey, the, the war, uh, the North has won the war, so you're free, and Juneteenth celebrates that. But I think we also confess that, yeah, the church hasn't been very good at being countercultural. That instead of the spirit radically changing a community, oftentimes the church as a community, we just keep going along with our culture. So even after the emancipation of slaves, there were still many, many years of segregation. Of people who would maybe and sometimes even speak in tongues and then want to exclude people who speak in different tongues, different languages. Or they look different. We're not very good at letting the Spirit radically change our community. We can and we should do better. That's, but it's evidence of the Spirit. So God, he fills individuals with the Spirit. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And God gives you and me, if we've trusted in Christ, his Spirit so that we'll know him more, we'll experience his presence, but also so that we'll fill up and and bless one another, that God will work through us, empowering us to transform us. That's why it's so important to look at this whole idea of baptism in the Spirit and um, filling with the Spirit, not just as individuals, but as a community. Gary Best, in his book, um, Naturally Supernatural, says this, Too often we have made spirit baptism all about us and our personal validation. When that is the case, if we don't get a personal visitation from God, we feel abandoned. But when we remember that it is a person we are seeking, not power, and that we are one people, one body, we can truly celebrate God's visitation no matter who experiences his presence. And so what that means is that, yes, we seek to be filled with the Spirit, but it also means that when others in our congregation, we pray for other people to be filled with the Spirit. And that maybe you've come today and you're not feeling all that full, but yet you see a brother or sister and they are exhibiting the gifts of the Spirit or they are just, you know, um, you can tell they're full of the Spirit because they're, they're different, they're changed, then we should rejoice because, wait, God is moving among us, among us, right? We so often look at it as individuals, but no, this is a community thing as well. So seek, seek to be filled. Seek to be filled. Be filled. That is the message today. We should want that growing relationship. And so, yes, if you were baptized or filled uh, by the Spirit, whatever, you know, last week even, spoken tongues, you prophesied, whatever, are you seeking to be filled today? Today. It's not something just to mark off a checklist. It is a relationship to pursue. 
And it is good, and we taste, and we see that the Lord is good, and so we want more. And it's not just so that we can uh, be prideful. Ah, I've been filled with a spirit. Or, oh, I got a spiritual high. It's so that you will glorify God, and you will bless one another, and that you will be used in a way to advance God's kingdom. So let's seek to be filled with the Spirit, every time we gather, every time it's taking a step towards Jesus, we talk about that. Well, we also, if, if we're filled with the Spirit, we're taking lots of steps towards Jesus. Let us be filled with the Spirit of God as individuals, but also as a community. What a difference it would make if folks said, well, Second Baptist Church, they are filled with the Spirit. They radically love one another. They're transformed. They exhibit the fruit of the Spirit. The miraculous happens there. And not so that Second Baptist would be lifted up, but so God would be lifted up. Because stuff would be happening that, no, that's not just because, you know, Pastor Joe's an adequate preacher or we got good, uh, you know, we got good music. None of that. It's because, because that, has, that stuff happens, like that, that change, that transformation, that can only be because God's Spirit is working in them. That's what we need to seek. So let's seek that. Heavenly Father, we confess that we often just, we just try to manage life. We try to get by. We look for a little blessing. We look for a little bit of your spirit. But Lord, would you fill us to overflowing? Would you fill us to overflowing, Lord, as individuals, but also as a church? And Lord, we, we want to manage things. But God, would you so overflow in us and through us that you would be glorified. Everyone would just have to say, only God can do that. Only God could change that person in that way. Only God could miraculously empower them. Only God could change a whole church so that they're so radically in love with him and, and, and serving one another that, yeah, God's there. Would you do that in us and through us, Lord? Amen.